The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Welcome to our new seven-week series called Deliver Us, Life in the Victory of Jesus. My name is Matthew. If we haven't met yet, good to meet you. Seven weeks, for the next seven weeks, we're focusing on the spiritual battle that is real. Seven weeks on the world, the flesh, and the devil. Seven weeks on experiencing the victory, the joy, the freedom, and the hope of Jesus. John, a disciple of Jesus, sums up all of Jesus' mission with one sentence. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. How's your morning going? Here we are talking about the devil. And so we say inside of ourselves, uh, I know some of you who are new to, Christian, new to Christianity, new to Jesus, you might be saying this to yourself, but also many of you have followed Jesus for a long time. Many of us in the room, we're, we're thinking to ourselves, it's the 21st century. We live in a secular age. And we're going to talk about the devil for seven weeks? <laughs> are you serious? I'm just trying to voice what's inside of you, uh, what you might be feeling. See, in today's secularism, this topic is ridiculous, right? It's like evil, demons, spiritual beings that deceive us. Come on. When talking about the demonic, uh, C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia series, he, he, said, it, he said it best. He said this at, in the introduction to a, a book he wrote called The Screwtape Letters. It's, he says this, quote, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. Now, see, Lewis is saying there's two errors. One might be some of us in the room where there's just this unhealthy interest in all things evil or demonic. That might be you. But I'd venture to say that most of us in the room would be on the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> most of us do not have that problem, right? As Lewis says, we disbelieve in the existence of the devil and the demonic. Why? Well, because a materialistic worldview has been given to you, gifted to you. Materialism, in the philosophical sense, is the doctrine that nothing else exists except for matter. Things you can touch, see, right? Matter is all that's there. Anything beyond what you can see and touch is simply a figment of your imagination. Is that true? Some of you know the name Romeo Dallaire. General Dallaire is a Canadian. He was uh, appointed a force commander of the UN mission to Rwanda during the 1994 genocide. He wrote a book called Shake Hands with the Devil. And you're, you're, some of you are familiar with the very true story that General Dallaire, along with a small contingent of Ghanaian and Tunisian soldiers and military observers, disobeyed the command to withdraw from Rwanda and remained in Rwanda to fulfill their ethical obligation to protect those who sought refuge with the UN forces. 
And uh, we love Rwanda here at, at North Langley. Uh, we're partnered with Wellspring. We just love the nation of Rwanda. I've been to Rwanda. It's amazing. We have Rwandan friends in the room. And, um, <clears throat> and so many of you are familiar with the story. Maybe you've read this book. But in the book, uh, General Dallaire talks about his experience in Rwanda in 94. And he wrote this. He says, quote, I know there is a God because in Rwanda I shook hands with the devil. I have seen him. I have smelled him, and I've touched him. I know the devil exists, and therefore, I know there is a God. See, Dallaire had been confronted with evil. You have to figure out, like, is, is really just all there is in the world just material things? Or, or, or is there a spiritual realm? And these are my words here, but Dallaire seems to have had such a close encounter with evil that he could no longer be a materialist alone. And, and, and many of us have experienced evil. Whether it was learning about holocausts and genocides and war. And we just go, really? Is that all just human choice? Or was there something dark behind all that? Maybe it's witnessing the evils of, of the pornography industry or the evils of human trafficking. We've seen systemic evil at work. But now, if we're honest, some of us in the room have experienced evil personally. The lies that have shaped us. The lies that have condemned us. The justice that was withheld from us. The hatred and vitriol from someone in our life towards us. And, and, and even a layer deeper here, some of you have experienced a personal presence of darkness in your life. Right? It's common for some to experience the inability to move at night in your sleep because there's a presence of someone or something in the room, right? So if we're honest in the room, many of us have experienced something dark personally. Good news, John says. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Good news, James says. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Good news, Jesus says. The thief comes only to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is a series about hope. Seven weeks about hope, about life, about freedom, and about victory. All of it anchored in Jesus. This is a series about the ways in which Jesus delivers us from darkness. This is a series that can be uh, summed up in the words of Bruce Coburn. Jesus is going to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. You're going to have to say amen at some point. <laughs> at some, you're just going to have to do it, okay? And I, and I want us to take Jesus seriously. If you're coming and you're new to Christianity and you're like, whoa, <laughs> I'm regretting coming this morning. What is going on? Just can you, can you just um, enjoy the ride for seven weeks, okay? Please, please continue to listen to Jesus. Do we believe that Jesus is the smartest person who has ever lived? Do we believe that? You know, we call him Lord, we call him Savior, but also do you call him smart? <laughs> do you call him smart? He's the smartest person that has ever lived. And if so, when Jesus describes the world to his followers, He's clear. 
that there are spiritual forces at work. When Jesus walked around doing ministry in his life, he saw the world for the way it truly is. Yes, there's matter, there are things in life, but behind a lot of these things are spirits that are, you know, serving God or some spirits that are opposed to God. That's how Jesus saw the world. And if he's the smartest person that ever lived, could we trust him? He saw that there were spirits working against God's good purposes in the world. And I want to repeat that. Listen to that. Jesus knew that there were spiritual forces that were working against God's good purposes in the world. I want to do this series also because as I've been able to be a pastor in the last number of years, I've noticed uh, something that happens in the lives of my friends and also in my own life. Let me, let me describe a scenario that happens. I encounter a problem, some form of, you know, suffering. Some of it's big, some of it's minor. And, and, I, and, and I, I encounter a difficulty, and I say something like this. God, why are you doing this to me? Right? Let's immediately go to God. God, why are you doing this to me? And because um, I believe that it's just me and God. Right? These are the two characters in the story. God me. So if something's going on that is not good or difficult, then I go, well, I didn't do it. So you, right? So we blame God. Now, and then we say, I'm so mad at God, right? And this this has been my own experience. And yet, I want you to listen to the devil's job description. Jesus clearly defines it. The thief comes only to steal kill, and destroy. Look at those three words. Steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, says Jesus, that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is coming to bring life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so, when something bad happens in my life, if I feel like things are being stolen, put to death, or destroyed, it's probably good that I at least pause and say, am I blaming the right party for this? You following me? If it's just me and God, then I attribute all blame to God, right? But could it be that there's actually a third character in the story, right? That does not have my best in mind. That is actively stealing, killing, and destroying. And I need to make sure that when I encounter a difficulty, I'm not suddenly blaming God for the work of the enemy. That, I mean, that is, like, that is like 101 discipleship following Jesus. <laughs> Let's not blame God for things he is not doing and he's actively trying to restore when it's actually the job description of the evil one, right? There is a thief that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So this is important. Jesus had a training school. Did you know that? He had a he had a school, and, and it, was a, it was a school of discipleship and what we're calling apprenticeship. He had three friends, Peter, James, and John, that he was very close to. Then he had a wider group of 12. Those are the disciples. And then he had a wider group of 72. Now, the 72, the 12, the three, they were all learning to do what Jesus did in his school, his school of discipleship. And what was he doing? When they watched him, he was kicking at the darkness until it bled daylight. That's what he was doing. 
All those years, he was, and they wanted to learn to do what he did. Listen to this. Listen to Luke 10. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Wow, that's exciting. Lambs among wolves. That sounds like a great mission trip. I love that. And so these disciples, these 72 in Jesus' school of apprenticeship, they said, okay, I guess we're going to go. And they went out two by two. And, and they went town to town. And see, they had seen Jesus defeat darkness, freeing people from bondage. And so they went out and they simply did what Jesus told them to do. And then they came back and they reported to Jesus what had happened. And listen to what they say. This is what, this is what happens. The 72 returned with joy and said this, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now, just if you have your Bible there, just underline that. In your name. The name of Jesus, right? It's powerful. And they're coming back. They're like giddy. They're like, oh, you, sh you should see what just happened in that town. Like, the demons are like submitting to us, not because of who we are. It's because of your name, Jesus, right? In your name. And he replied, Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Just pause. Some of you, this is a hyperlink back to the book of Genesis chapter 3. There had been a prophecy that the snake, the snake character that deceived the world, that one day, one day his head would be crushed that the, the head of the deceiver would be crushed. And what's Jesus doing? He's saying, I saw him fall like lightning. When you guys went out and when you were casting out demons in my name, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And I have given you authority. This is his school. He's telling this to his students. He's saying, I have given you authority to trample the head of the serpent. <laughs> Crush it, right? Authority. And to overcome the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. Look at that last sentence. Nothing is going to harm you. You're part of my school. You're part of my people. You go out in my name. Nothing's going to harm you. You're going to feel like lambs among wolves, but you've got to know you have the name that is higher and greater than every other name. Okay? And you're just going to watch Satan fall like lightning. Now notice what he said. The disciples, they say this. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And these seven weeks to come, I want you and each one of you to experience that, to know it to be true, to believe it to be true. I hope the next seven weeks are filled with hope for you as you come to see the truth of the power of Jesus' name. Okay, so we want to be apprenticed to Jesus. And so we have to understand the enemy. And uh, we're, gonna, we're actually going to dive quite deep into this in the next few weeks. So this is all what we call the tip of the iceberg. Um, so the scriptures describe an axis of evil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And we get this kind of axis, this three-part axis of evil from Ephesians chapter 2. 
Uh, try to find the world, the flesh, and the devil in the next few sentences from the Bible. Paul writes this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the way of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, that was the devil. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, our flesh, there it is, and following its desires and thoughts. Notice the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now the world, the world is the, <clears throat> the evil around us that we've created, right? Now the world, you think, well, the world is beautiful. There's like beautiful pandas and dolphins. That's not what the New Testament is talking about. God loves the world. He loves pandas and he loves dolphins, rest assured. When, when the New Testament talks about the world, it's, the, it's kind of the evil around us. It's the systems that we've created, sy systems of sin. So like I mentioned earlier, like the, the whole system of pornography or the uh, whole system of racism or, or injustice, right? That's the world. Uh, you know, moving against God's will. Okay, the flesh. What's the flesh? So the flesh are the evil desires within us, right? Desires that lead to death. And we, all of us, if we're honest, we know these desires come up within us and they move us in a direction away from God, right? And the devil is, 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 is evil personified, right? The devil and the demonic. Right? They, they, these are spiritual beings that are in direct opposition to God and his love for the world. Now, this triple alliance of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Oh, I just always laugh when I, triple alliance. Uh, in the Alpha Course, the N Nicky Gumbel with his British accent uh, always says that. The triple alliance of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, I didn't need to say that, but it's, so the triple alliance, it's important to, for us to understand. It's also important to see how the devil works. And so we're going to take a much deeper dive, as I mentioned earlier, in the next few weeks. But, but here's what you need to know. The devil is a deceiver. He's a deceiver. Um, in Genesis 3, uh, that story where there's a serpent at the very beginning who deceives humanity, um, he comes, he tempts Adam and Eve with this fruit they're not supposed to eat. And, you know, Eve says, you know, we're not supposed to eat that fruit. And, then, and, and what, is, what does the serpent say? The serpent says, did God really say that? Did God really say that? See what, see, what the deceiver does is plants a little seed of an idea that God's ways are not for our best. We're like, God, you know, the, this, these rules that you've created, this way in which we live our life, it's not for our best. We think you're holding back. You know, we think you're keeping good from us. And so the, so, so the serpent, the deceiver, goes, do you think that's actually what God said? And so there it is, the seed of doubt, that God may not have said what he, we thought he said, right? And then once we sin, once we sin, he's an accuser. He's an accuser. He, in Hebrew, uh, the word Satan is simply a, uh, a, a term that means, it, it means the accuser in Hebrew, but it's, it often comes with, um, with the word ha in front of it, ha-satan. So it's the accuser, the accuser. And in Greek, that's where we get the word devil. So diabolos, diabolos, devil, it means slanderer. And so, 
So what he does is he deceives us, and then he accuses us. He slanders us. He's, he's quick to condemn us. And so watch, watch the way how sinister this is. First of all, he tempts us, and he goes, hey, it's really fun to break the rules. Try it. And then once we break the rules, he says, you're a worthless human being. You see that? Now, the first, the, when he tempts us, it's like, hey, there are no rules. God didn't really say that, right? And he makes God's heart for the world or God's law for the world vague, right? Did God really say that? And then when we do it, all of a sudden, the enemy brings the law right into our face and goes, see, you broke the law. You're worthless. You're pathetic, right? It's absolutely brutal. It's, it's so cruel the way he works. He uses God's law against us. Now, did I mention that this is supposed to be a good news sermon? <laughs> it's a good, I want this next seven weeks to be filled with hope because let me remind you of the cross of Jesus Christ. We look at the cross. We look at the cross of Christ and what do we see? We see Christ our victor. In Latin, Christus victor, right? That we we see Jesus on the cross, and he cries out loud, it is finished. It's finished. And what was finished? Uh, we don't have the time to talk about all the layers of things that were finished and accomplished by Jesus at the cross. But one of those layers, one of those beautiful things accomplished by Christ at the cross, when he can say it is finished, is his defeat of the devil. Okay? It's his defeat of Satan and all the demonic. That's why when Jesus is spread out with his arms crucified, he says, it is finished. And we see Satan fall like lightning, right? And how do we know this? Well, the Apostle Paul says this about what happened at the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, pause, powers and authorities, these, this is the dark demonic realm. This is what Paul's talking about. Disarmed. What did he do? Imagine the darkness with guns. And what does Jesus do? He disarms them, right? Takes takes their means of attack away from them. So having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them. He ridicules them, right? He mocks them, triumphing over them by the cross, right? He's, so at the cross, there's this incredible victory, and a battle is, has been won. And how is the battle won? How is it won? Well, at the cross, Jesus sheds his blood for the forgiveness of sin, right? And you and I are cleansed of all sin. And three days later, he rose from the dead and defeated death. So if you're cleansed of your sin, and if you, the power of death no longer controls you, then you are a new creation, Christ is in you, and the power of the devil has been thwarted. He has no more power. Christ is, vic Christ is victor. Christ is victorious. And, you, and because of the cross and the resurrection, you now stand in a victory position. And the devil now stands in a losing position. And so when you and I pray, when we pray, and by the way, this series is going to be all about prayer. Start praying now. Seven weeks of prayer, right? When you and I pray, we pray against evil and darkness. And, and, and we pray, says Pete Gregg, we pray from a place of victory and joy. We, we pray from a place of victory and joy. We're not praying from a sense of defeat and like, oh no, who's going to win this battle? No, Christ has won. The battle is over. It is finished. Christ our victor. 
and we now pray from a place of victory and joy. Now you're like, uh, Matthew, uh, earth to Matthew, uh, things are still going on <laughs> in the world. How does that work? Well, uh, we talk about living in the already but not yet, that Jesus has won a victory, but we're not yet at the day when he comes back to, to bring a new creation, right? To set everything perfectly all right. So we live in this in-between time. And what I love is the image of chess. Some of you are chess players, so you'll get this. If you don't understand chess, go home this week, learn chess, and then you'll understand my image, okay? But for all of you chess players, you know that when it's checkmate, um, there's this sense of like a gentleman's game where you just kind of like tip over the, you know, the king because the king's surrounded, right? The king, you know, there is defeat, absolute defeat. You can't change the game now, right? It's checkmate. And, but, but in reality, there's one more move. You could move your king into a position where they're actually going to get killed, right? And so if you were to move that king, it's a, it's a, it's a move of destruction, right? And so the king might take away a queen or might take away a rook or a bishop or something and then get killed. Does that make sense? So chess actually ends in checkmate one step uh, away from destruction, right? And, and that's the move that the enemy is making in the spiritual. Now let's talk about the spiritual realm. That right now, Satan has been put in checkmate. There is no way he's going to win. He just cannot win. But his final move is one of just destruction. He's going to use his last move to destroy as much as he can. He's a defeated enemy. He's, he will not win. But the, but the last 2,000 years, he's using this final move to bring as much destruction as he can. But you and I live in the victory of Jesus. And, and Jesus taught us to pray, right? So when Jesus teaches us to pray a certain way, we pray a certain way. And he told us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And in this middle, already not yet, we're praying deliverance from the evil one. Now, I want to show you the way Jesus' power and freedom works. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to uh, Luke 4. And I just want to show you a quick story, quick story in Luke 4, where we watch Jesus defeat evil. Luke 4, starting in verse 31. All right. Let's read just uh, 31 to 34 first. When he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people, they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now pause right there for a second. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Um, notice the demon is a good theologian. You see that? Verse 34, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, just if you're new to the Bible, just so you know, most characters in the New Testament, um, in the Gospels, are not interacting with Jesus in such a clear way. They're not sure who he is. Wow, he's a good teacher. You know, he's really loving, very compassionate. Um, the religious leaders don't like him, right? He seems to be doing all the wrong things. But here's a demon, and we get absolute clarity, okay? From the demon, we get absolute clarity. You're the Holy One of God. That's clear. These dark spirits know who Jesus is. 
They know their theology. Listen to James. He's the younger brother of Jesus. He writes this in James 2. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Hey, good theology, it's wonderful. It's a good thing. You should know your Bible. But knowing tons of facts about the Bible, having perfect theology doesn't make you a Christian. It just doesn't. Many who know a lot about the Bible are not following God. Case in point, the demon, right? So that's why discipleship, or what we're calling apprenticeship to Jesus, is a whole life thing. It's to say, God, I don't want to just know about you. And I don't want to just know stories from the Bible. I want the power of your love and life to come into my life and change me. That there's a power encounter where God comes in and frees me from my sin and is victorious over the darkness and fills me with the Holy Spirit so that I am now in Christ. That's my position in Christ. That's what I need. And so notice that the demon's confession is absolutely right on. Jesus of Nazareth is the Holy One of God. Just pause. This is actually uh, wild. The demon makes the ancient confession of the church that Jesus is true God and true man. Did you hear that? True God and true man. Jesus of Nazareth, Holy One of God. Right? He nails the ancient confession of the church. But he's about to get destroyed. <laughs> the demon says, have you come to destroy us? Right? And the answer is yes. Yes, he's come to destroy you. He's, because it's love. It's love. Jesus loves this man. And he's got to set him free from whatever darkness has, has, has entered into this guy's life. This is all love. And so we read, starting in verse 35. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out with, without injuring him. Just pause there. Look, Jesus is so loving. He removes the darkness, the dark spirit, and without injuring the man. Okay? He loves you. Jesus loves you. He's not here to injure you. Okay? He's here to expel the darkness. In verse 36, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus frees the man. And, and, and Jesus is like actively working for the good of the other. Come out. And Jesus' entire declaration, or his entire life was this bold declaration let my people go. Some of you remember the story of Moses in Egypt. And God had told Moses to speak to the powers and say, let my people go. And just so you guys know, this was a power encounter, right? The gods of Egypt, like most of the plagues of Egypt, just so you know, for those of you who know this story, if you're new to Jesus, uh, you, you'll learn the story at some point. It's a wild story of God's people being held in slavery and all the plagues of Egypt are attached to the gods of Egypt, okay? So every time uh, God is victorious over a plague, it's like he's knocking one god of Egypt off its pedestal and then knocking the other one off its pedestal and the other one, right? 
And it is a power encounter. Because, and so Moses shows up. He says, let my people go. And what is Jesus? Jesus is a new Moses. He's ready to lead the people of God out of slavery. But in order to lead them out of slavery, there has to be a power encounter with the darkness. And so Jesus is all about freedom. Now, <clears throat> I want to say, how does someone get to this point in life? You know, you might be reading that story in Luke 4 and go, wow, how do you get there? Well, how do we get to the place where we're enslaved to darkness? It's a really good question. Well, and, I, and so I want to begin by asking this. To what or to whom have you opened up your life to? Now, this is like the images of um, handing over the keys of your house. You know, think about your, your soul, your life. Who has the keys to your mind, your heart, your will, your emotions, your habits, your relationships? This is to hand the keys of, of authority in our life over to something or someone else. Now, this can happen directly or indirectly. And I just want to take a, just a couple of minutes to explain both of these. Directly or indirectly. And this is really serious stuff, so directly. I'd like to ask, in a room this size, um, I'm sure there's many of you in the room who have had an experience like this, where it, in one way or the other, you've opened up your life to, um, to some darkness, some spiritual forces, through maybe the occult, Ouija boards, card reading, palm reading, horoscopes, etc. Let me ask it more in a general way. Um, have you opened up your life in any kind of supernatural way or spiritual way to anything that is not God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? You opened up your life in any way to those spirits. Um, if so, the solution is simple. This is not a moment of condemnation or accusation. This is a moment where I get to invite you into freedom, into beautiful freedom, to turn away, turn your back on those things. That's what we call it repentance, to get rid of any of that stuff in your life, to, to, to literally maybe find a Christian brother or sister and confess those things to them, someone you trust. Let them pray for you right, in order to find freedom. We have a course at our church called Freedom Session. It's a wonderful opportunity to to, to actually find freedom from having opened up our life to darker spirits. Now, you might go, like, what is that about? Well, I just want to let you know, in the Bible, there are these warnings about not doing those things. And you might be asking why. Because we believe that the spiritual realm is real. And when I open up my life to some of these things, or when I think I'm communicating with the dead, right, or with a loved one who passed on, the, the warning here is that you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know who you're talking to. You think you're talking to maybe a relative that passed on a while ago. But you don't know that. And there's an openness to, um, to dark forces that will use those things to manipulate you, to harm you. And that's why God just says, come to me. <laughs> My arms are open. I'm your father that loves you. You come to me, run into my arms. I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. I'll give you all that you need. 
You don't need to be communicating and being deceived in that way. Because these, these spirits will use that moment, that moment of vulnerability, to harm. And so we want to walk away from that. Now, that's directly. But what about indirectly? What does it look like to hand over the authority of our life to, to, to the darkness indirectly? Well, some of you will know there's a, there's a way in which people enter into slavery today, which is absolutely deceptive. It's so cruel. Um, and, and I'm talking like real-world slavery. Um, the, the organization uh, International Justice Mission uh, talks about modern slavery. And they say, this is how people become slaves today. And then I'll, I'll bridge it to the spiritual here in a second. But in, today, in our world, what will happen is a slave owner will approach a poor family and offer this family a small advance payment for their labor. So they come to them and they go, hey, you want to work? We'll give you a job. And actually, here's some cash up front for you to enjoy and come work with me. Now, what happens is that sounds amazing, but this family will now come work for the slave owner, not realizing it's a slave master. They'll begin to work in some kind of factory or whatever. And then the uh, slave owner will inflate the debt owed with exorbitant interest charges so that the person that's working there can never pay back their debt. So they can never leave, right? And so they're stuck. Now, apply that spiritually. What does the enemy of our souls do? Comes and says, hey, here's an advance payment. This will taste good. You'll enjoy this. And we say, okay, and we take it. And once he has us, all of a sudden the debt continues to grow and we can never pay it back. And we, go, we cycle downward slowly, right? And we're caught. And, and, and those of us who've walked through some addiction in our life, we know this, right? I've experienced this. And it takes control of our life. I give myself over to this one thing. And I have like this one free choice. I can, and I choose it. And all of a sudden, it gains this control over me. I actually really like how Nikki White, she was sending, Nikki White is in charge of our prayer ministry here at the church. She's amazing. She wrote me an email one time, and I'm now taking that email and making it a quote. So I'm sure she just loves that. But here we go. Um, she, she says it this way. She says, quote, we're offered one truly free choice, a choice of masters. If we turn away from God, we may think that we're choosing self-determination, but we're actually turning ourselves over to the malignant ruler of a broken world. Under his thumb, we lose our freedom, including the freedom to think our own thoughts clearly. For he is a cruel and vicious taskmaster, intent upon the destruction of our souls. It's only when we yield ourselves to a good and wise father that we find true freedom. Again, a father is welcoming you into his arms. So let me ask you, have you ever given yourselves over to something and it now controls you? So, the bitterness. The bitterness felt so good at the start. It was an advance payment, right? And now I've become a slave to my own bitterness. That can work with pornography. That can work with revenge. That, that can work with chasing a certain image of what our body should look like. Or flirting with someone who's not our spouse. 
or how we spend our money, right? Any or all of it, right? Certain things feel good at the start, but then it's like they grow bigger than us and we're caught in this cycle of debt and we're not free. And then the weirdest thing happens. Then it's like all of a sudden our souls become calloused and we can no longer feel. You know the calluses on your hand? Like, and you can't feel. You're no longer sensitive. The deeper we go into this slavery, we can't feel anymore. And so this, let me give you a picture of this. This is the man who cheats on his wife, but now justifies it. See, earlier when he was a little bit more sensitive, he, he's like, oh, I know what I'm doing is wrong. But actually, over the years, he now justifies it and calls it right. This is the employee that believes now that the unethical practice that they're doing is okay for them. At the beginning, they're like, I know this is not right. I know it's not right. But by now, they're like, it's right. See, that's true callousness. Right? We're, we're, we're in slavery. It's, it's the person who justifies the hate for the family member. It's the student who justifies cheating for a greater good in their mind. It's the parent who speaks those same identity-crushing comments to their children that their parents spoke to them. And now we're caught, and we're in slavery, and we're like, how did that happen? How did I become this way? How did I ever get to this point? Because slowly we gave the keys of our house to somebody else. N.T. Wright says this, quote, when human beings worship that which is not God, they give authority to forces of destruction and malevolence, and those forces gain a power. So what has a hold upon your heart, directly or indirectly? Right? And now it's seeking to control you. Did I mention this is a good news sermon? <laughs> Again, good news. Well, then, if you're in that place, I've got great news for you. Good news. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's why he showed up. That's why he's here. That's the business he's in. That is what he's actively working on, and he's ready to set his children free. He looks at the powers of this dark world, and he says, let my people go. And he is actively moving for you to find hope and freedom. Remember, Christ, our victor, Christ at the cross, it is finished. Colossians 2 again, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. And North Langley, good news, the battle is done. The battle has been won. It's over. Christ is our victor. And this week, the best thing you can do is to get together in your apprentice group or your life group or with that Christian friend or that mentor and say, okay, for the next seven weeks, I want to get serious about this. And, and I see those places where I feel I'm caught in slavery and start to confess those things out loud and say, this is the stuff that, that I feel like I've given my life over to and it's now taking over my life and I want freedom and I want hope. And I just want to say good news because like the spirit wants that for you too and he's going to be fighting for that for you. And uh, he loves you so much. And uh, Christian friend, if you're the person that someone confesses to or talks to about these things, your job is just to pray, to get on your knees and pray and say, absolutely, let's walk. Let's talk about steps, you know, that we can take to freedom. But I am here to pray for you and to see a victory won in your life. North Langley, we get to take communion. And would you take the bread and the cup right now? We come to a table 
where we remember the sacrifice of Christ for us. His body given for us, his blood shed for us. And in 1 Corinthians 11, we read these words from the Apostle Paul. And we'll begin with, we'll begin with the bread. Our ushers are passing out the bread and the cup. If anyone doesn't have any, let's make sure you guys all have some. You can take it together as one family. right. We have the bread. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. Thankfully, as we eat this meal, just remember the incredible truth. What a powerful image, right, of Christ in us as we take the body and, and drink in memory of his blood. So let's take the cup here. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Will you stand with me here as we worship? We want to thank God for all he's done for us. We want to thank Jesus for the cross. But remember, he's taught us how to pray. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And our prayer ministry team is here to pray for you, for anything, anything that's on your heart, but also for just a turning to Jesus, a reminder of the power and victory of Jesus. So have some prayer team members up here, prayer room in the back. Please come for prayer. And we want to pray right now. Holy Spirit, pour out the love of God upon this place. Jesus, we thank you for the cross, and we thank you for your blood that has freed us from sin. We thank you for rising from the dead three days later and defeating death itself. And Lord, we pray that in the next seven weeks, we would watch you bring a powerful freedom to our church, to our lives, um, to our relationships. Lord, uh, we we give you these seven weeks and we just pray for tons of hope um, for all of us who feel caught. Lord, would you come? And, And we hear you say, let my people go. And we hear you say, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And Lord, we hear those words and and we just pray that that would be true. If the Son sets us free, then we will be free indeed. Amen.